This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,557, recorded July 28th, 2000. Okay, I'll read what I wrote. It's easy to comprehend the notion of men lying to themselves when a small man says that he's large or an old man says that he's young. You can see that it is not true. But what totally eludes men's recognition and understanding is how they lie to themselves each and every time they think about themselves in any way. The conscious mind is structured and organized to initially see things as they are, but then to almost instantly abandon that view and begin to mentally see things as they could be. And this inherent characteristic is not suspended when the mind attempts to look at itself. A most significant fact, but one which man's thinking cannot take into proper account, in that, even should he have it pointed out to him, immediately after seeing it, his mind will begin to think of it in a way other than how he saw it to actually be. Do you see, even if, relatively speaking, man's conscious mind lives in a dream, and you can make a man aware of this, just as soon as you do, he abandons the reality of what he saw and begins instead to dream about it. What a situation. You're told that you're not really awake. You instantly see that it's true. Then you immediately fall asleep and begin to dream about what you just saw. What conditions? Your mind normally, your not mind originally, knows the truth about everything, then immediately begins to lie about it. This alone makes human change and progress possible. This alone is what's behind the mystic's notion that man is asleep. Ouch. Fact. Humans are never satisfied. Fact. Ordinary humans seek to be through physical activity. Fact. There's nothing inherently wrong with this except fact. It won't work. Second verse. Fact. Humans are never satisfied. Fact. Ordinary humans seek to be through physical activity. And while there is nothing wrong with this approach, it doesn't work. Fact. A few people seek satisfaction through so-called mystical mental activity. And while there is certainly nothing wrong with this different approach, it won't work either. Surprise. Or maybe you aren't all that surprised. Question, do you understand what I've just pointed out? Do you see the working connection between the several facts? Are you beginning to gradually realize that everything the mind can come up with to try and apply to itself won't work? It can't work. That's why the mind will keep on working on projects that have absolutely no chance of succeeding. Without this, no change or progress in the physical world. Without this, you wouldn't be trying to wake up. 
Need I again point out the neatness of all of this? How about a new allegorical description of the right kind of man seeking enlightenment? A Don Quixote who, in spite of appearances, understands full well how things actually are and realizes the improbability of his quest. For the true mystic to finally realize the possible, he must first vigorously pursue the impossible. How can you know the truth without you first lie, lie, lie? An old song says, once I was blind, but now I see. But don't you see? Without first being apparently blind, you could never apparently learn to see. It's breathtaking. Breathtaking how neat this whole affair plays itself out. When one man heard someone say that the actual goal of awakening was simply the mind's desire to understand itself, he thought, well, in that case, my goal would be for my mind to stop trying to. And you know what? For a man far enough along in this affair, for that to make some sense, it makes sense. And now for some sporting news. One man achieved permission to stop running around in endless circles. But only after he had done so, as required, for half his life. Moral. Nothing makes sense until it makes sense to you. Not too early and not too late, but just at the right time. And the right time is when it's right for you. And that earlier man who said to himself, if all of this is just the mind's desire to understand itself, then I'd settle for mind to stop trying, which certainly makes no sense, <clears throat> unless it makes sense to you. And someone asked, how can I tell for sure if I am lying to myself about myself or not? Simple. You are, if your thoughts about you have you placed anywhere but where you are at this moment. And someone says, that response was so direct as to be offensive. My kind of someone. Anyone whose response to your question opens with a comment, that is a very good question may be asked no further questions without any harm visiting you. Okay, enough of the silliness. Let's have a serious look at this matter. You may ask no questions of anyone without you suffering any harm whatsoever. Papa, does that include asking questions of yourself? Well, son, now that one's a bit trickier to answer. Oh. I get it. I see what you're doing. Point. A man who sees what you're doing won't ask you any questions. Super point. A man who sees what he is doing has no questions, period. 
the mind trying to halt its activities long enough to fruitfully study same is the same as a hammer attempting to nail fog to the wall. Which I suppose is silly enough, but in this instance, the hammer, the nail, the fog, and the wall are actually all the same thing. And unless from the materials at hand you create someone to witness this foolishness, you are this foolishness. Which is just yet another way of saying that you're dozing and being deluded by your own thinking. I remind you of something previously noted. To wit, nothing is required of an awakened mind while the demands made on a sleeping one are without end. The ordinary mind that naturally misrepresents how it sees things to be is forever busy, busy, busy. While a man who looks for himself at things rather than through the eyes of his mind discovers a form of consciousness that is the epitome of undisturbed relaxation. When you deal only with what's actually going on, you discover that there's nothing to deal with. The ratio. If you spent, let us say, one-tenth of one percent of your life in the observation of your own mind's workings, you would be in the world's forefront of such activity. Apparently not satisfied with my earlier response, someone else asked, How can I tell with certainty if I am lying to myself about myself? Okay, simple again. You are definitely lying to you're definitely lying if you are thinking about anything other than water, wind, or fire. Then still another someone says, It's beginning to sound suspiciously like you're saying that anything a man thinks is a lie. Partially so, sir. Only partially so. But I got a level with you. It's no more than just this partially lying that keeps a man from the full realization of what's going on. The mind's natural, partial misrepresentation of what it sees is what keeps the mind naturally active. And it is this self-same natural mental activity that mystics call missing the last bus or some such foolishness. <clears throat> and that's foolishness spelt with three O's. It is. While it is easy for me to write at length regarding the mind's natural operation of first seeing things as they are, then immediately seeing them as potentially otherwise, when it comes to seeing this as it operates in your own mind, in your mind, is not so simple. For try as you might, the thinking naturally, the thinking natural to the mind cannot accommodate the thought that says, Thought never gives a total and fully accurate picture of what it portrays. For obviously it will also perforce partially misrepresent, thus misunderstand this thought as well. Do you still not fully appreciate the natural and comforting neatness of all mazes, enigmas, and other circular structures? I was going to say, do you begin to realize and appreciate the natural comforting effects of all mazes, enigmas, and circuses 
But I didn't know, no offense, but whether everyone was hip enough to know what a circus was in European urban planning. And traffic flow. But the truth is I should have used it because even if you just thought I meant an ordinary big top, it still works. But it's too late now. No matter how quick you become, your eyes will never be able to turn and see themselves. But no matter how smart you become, you won't necessarily stop trying. And someone asks, would you call this foolishness? No, sir, I would not. I would call it foolishness to believe that it could be otherwise. The nature of the mind is to ramble and to treat this trait as though it is caused by some sort of infection that is foreign to your mind gives a whole other bombastic connotation to the word foolishness. The dirty little secret funny motto of those who get back to what's really going on might be, quote, yeah, I know that it can't be done, but God, what fun. P.S. A non-physical addiction can only be harmful if it's not recognized to be an addiction. From a quite real relative view, man's mind is not fully awake. But as soon as a man's mind hears this and accepts it as, accepts it as true, it begins to lie to itself about it. It has no choice. Do you? And are you exercising it? Headline, ways in which your instinctive mind and your conscious mind can be made to assist one another in circumstances wherein such may not be automatic. Even if you are not by instinct physically graceful, by mental attentiveness you can be less clumsy. Need I point out that this has significance far beyond the example noted. What you are by instinct is the truth about yourself. But man has capacities beyond his instincts. The question is, in what specific ways do you avail yourself of the possibilities? Instinct can't lie about how things are. But in a sense, the conscious mind can. And through this ability, it can lead instinct in behaving as it would never have done on its own. Were this not the situation and its possibilities, there would be no reality to the idea of waking up. But there is. All that's necessary is to make your mind and your instincts work together in ways not spontaneous to you. At first, this is the first and last page to what I was wrote tonight. So listen to it both ways. Imagine you heard it before I read everything else also. At first, it can be a profitable attention grabber to think of the mind as lying about what it sees. But I recommend that as quickly as possible you move to a more expansive view and picture the mind as being quite capable of seeing things truthfully as they are. But after initially doing so, it automatically begins 
to elaborate on what it has seen and thus thereafter, at least in part, continually misrepresents, even to itself, the way it sees things to be. In spite of the readily observable reality of the situation, I see the notion of the mind either willfully or helplessly lying to be ultimately unenlightening. For even though its reports of what it sees consistently misrepresents how things really are, the mind in so doing usually has no, no intent to lie for some self-serving purpose. So even though it can be a useful approach in the beginning so as to accustom your sight to a new perspective, it ultimately accomplishes nothing to maintain an, ac an accusatory notion that your own mind willfully lies to you. No, it merely fulfills its natural functions and obligations. And all you need do is recognize what it does as such. To have an enlightened mind is not to have is not to have freed yourself from the lies of the mind, but is to have finally realized that reality is one thing and the mind something else. It's actually quite simple, this waking up thing. It's just that it's almost too simple for thought to ever grasp. Double out. I, of course, recommend you, that you consider, since I spent several nights, including tonight, on the idea of the mind lying, if you don't have a clear picture yourself, I strongly recommend its potential. And as I just noted, as quickly as possible, if you didn't realize it on your own, is to go beyond that. But to go beyond it, you need to see it in your own way. And it's in a entirely different manner than ordinary people talk about this. That is, of men lying to themselves. Perhaps in the last, perhaps since the birth of so-called Western psychology and its terminology and its views, uh, probably the most commonly publicly discussed example of men, quote, lying to themselves had to do with homosexuality, uh, specifically of men, of a man denying that he was a homosexual, a man denying that he had any tendencies. And then it, you know all the elaborations of it and how people go through therapy and how some people even publicly say, I lied to myself for 30 years. I even married a woman and had 14 children. And finally, just the stress of it got to be too much. And I decided I can't lie to myself. What's the sense in lying your whole life? And you die having lived a lie. So at the age of 50, I declared I was a homosexual, left my wife, abandoned my children, blah, blah. And many writers, professionals in the field, psychiatrists and psychologists, uh, that has got to be one of the most fertile fields in which they have verbally plowed uh, all their observations of all the stresses, all the neuroses, if not psychoses, 
of men denying men who had homosexual tendencies or drives or were homosexual to deny. Does everyone understand what a facade that is? What a sham that is? Because in spite of, and I'm quite aware, in spite of accepted common wisdom and even professional wisdom that says that it's not possible to just simply look at someone and tell if they're a homosexual. In spite of that being part of our common vernacular, uh, especially women, I don't know whether you, well, surely you have. I just never thought to point this out to anybody. But any man can look at a homosexual from a mile away for a second and know it. And now that I've said it, I was going to say that maybe this came as news to women, but come to think about it, women may know it faster or as easy as men do. But this whole idea, and you've heard it uh, not only from professionals, saying it's surprising that you'll find out that the cop down the street turns out to be a homosexual or a stevedore working on the docks is a homosexual, and therefore you can't tell. Now, I've heard plenty of homosexuals state of how foolish it was for straight people to say, well, yeah, I can look at somebody and tell if they're homosexual. And I say, no, that's absolutely impossible, and there are many statistics to prove it, and I have a lifetime of anecdotal experience. And the very person saying it, I assure you that any man on this planet could see him walk by for a split second and very likely see one of his childhood pictures when he was four or five years old and look at the photograph and realize, this guy's going to be a homosexual. Well, he is a homosexual. I don't guess you'd call a five-year-old kid a homosexual. But you look at him and realize this is not a man. Not in the simple, biological, full gen genetic sense. I don't. In other words, the idea that someone is lying to themselves about, as they call it, their sexual orientation is laughable. That's a bigger lie, what I'm getting at. That's the lie to momentarily still call this the mind lying. Because as I've already pointed out, I do not favor this over an extended period of time. It is not fully responsive to the situation. It does not explain it in the most useful way. But still, I feel the need. That, anyway, I'm going to use it again tonight because you know what I mean. But the idea that a man can lie to himself if you hear me on tape, we had a momentary. Okay. Everything working? Okay. Not to overdo the example, but it is simply laughable. And every so-called straight man and woman on this planet knows it's laughable. To hear someone, an educated, apparently serious man, say, I had funny feelings when I was a child. Every now and then I suspected that I wondered why I didn't like to play football and soldiers, little toy soldiers as much as all my friends. But I just lied to myself. I lied to myself until I was 50 years old. And people... You can see this often on television in some form. But a man can say that, and other people sitting around him, including psychiatrists, people who 
spent 12 years in school or psychologist supposedly learning about the human mind sit and listen to a man say that and nod like oh how true and him say I almost ruined my life I wasted my teen years and my early 20s because I just lied to myself that I wasn't homosexual I wasn't attracted to people of the same sex and everybody nods like oh what a common and sad story what could be a bigger lie is the reason I figured out because it is something directly from our most important, collectively speaking, instinct. The preservation, the continuation of our species. So as you know, I could have used hunger of some, some man saying, of course this wouldn't make, this defies logic. And if you're still that concerned, I guess I could have used hunger and point out how common it is for people who otherwise seem to be sane and rational, well, let's say they're 40 years old and they say, up until two years ago, I never ate. I denied that I was ever hungry. Boy, I regret it now because of the pressure. I'm, I'm 40 now, and for 38 years, I refused to admit that I was hungry. I thought I was pulling it off. I seemed to fool my friends. I certainly, I guess, thought I was fooling myself. But now I feel so much better because two years ago I started eating. I faced the truth. It is, figuratively speaking, laughable to believe that a man can lie to himself. And man now, in little letters, men and women, can lie to themselves about themselves. It is a collectively accepted manifestation of lying for people to believe such or for a priest or a rabbi or for anyone to walk up to you after you've just buried a loved one and for them to say well we shouldn't actually be sad because we know that your dear mother is now in paradise she is now alive in a better place and that you nod well that's true reverend and you both know that what you just said is a lie not whether it's true or false see that's the difference let me point. This might unhinge some of you to keep you from getting stuck. You know, when, what I'm talking about of lying is actually different, as I said, than ordinary people mean it, and not just because of the examples I'm using. There is a lying that goes on, such as you go to buy a car, an automobile, and you look on the... Uh, the sticker in the window and it says uh, gas mileage approximately 22 in the city and you look at it and you ask the salesman you say have you been around here long he says yeah and I said you're familiar with this car oh yeah I sell it's our biggest selling model you say well just between me and you does this thing really get to, uh, it's hard to believe but does it will it actually average 22 miles in the city and he says yeah you say you ask him well you know that for a fact he said oh yeah and we've checked it here, and we know that the company, Ford or whoever it is, we know how, the kind of rigorous tests that they go through, and the EPA requires it for them to phone the sticker. All right. The lying is that the salesman doesn't know. I mean, it could be otherwise, but I'm making up my own example. That he doesn't know whether it's true or not true. That's the lie. It's not that he knows for a fact, let's say. In my example, it's not that he has driven 
two or three dozen of these cars home over the last year and kept meticulous records of the gas mileage because he wanted to know, and he knows for a fact, that, that none of them get over 19, no matter how you drive, that in the city, if you throw it in neutral and coast to every traffic light you see, it still will not go over 19 miles a gallon. It's not that kind of lie. He just says, oh, yeah, that's true. You know, we've checked. I, I just know it's true. You can, you can trust that. You know, it says minimum uh, average of 22 miles a gallon. Yeah, that's true. The point is he doesn't know. Now, that's the kind of lying that people don't normally think about. When ordinary minds talk about lying, you know, at least you forget here for a second, they mean that someone willfully and with some purpose, there has to be a purpose they wouldn't do it if they're ordinary and sane, that to lie is to purposefully tell something that you know is not true. But in my example, I'm trying to get you to turn your head a slightly different way, that salesman is closer to lying, the kind I'm talking about, that he says, yeah, it gets that mileage, and he doesn't know. He doesn't know any more than you do. But he seems to be in a position. He's there with a name tag. He's got a desk. He works at the company selling X automobile, X brand. And X brand claims it gets 22 miles a gallon, this model. And you ask a man who works for the company, who sells them for a living, is this true? Does this car average 22 miles a gallon in the city? He says, yes. The priest says, we should not be sad. Your mother's not dead. She has now entered a whole new life. She's with the gods. She's in paradise. And you go, well, that's true. You're both lying. You understand? It's not that the priest knows that's not true. He doesn't know. That's the lie. And that's why I finally am going to change in the next night or so. Trying to encourage you to look beyond and change even the terminology. Because it is not lying that the mind engages in, in the sense of telling something that's not true. Because what purpose would it have? It would have to, your mind, everyone's mind would have to have, so to speak, an independent life from you. They would have to have some agenda. It would have to have some plan that runs counterproductive to yours. Why else would it lie, quote, why else would your mind lie to you? Assuming it's possible. I know it appears to be. But why? On what basis? How's it possible? But on what basis? The collective lies, again, I'm using this just conditionally for tonight. And the conditions under which men collectively lie is beyond any ready explanation. It is beyond any psychological explanation. It's beyond any... I propose to you, any ordinary human, no matter how intelligent, no matter what their professional training was, if an ordinary man sat and understood what I was talking about up till now, and I said, do you see the purpose? you understand what I mean by men's, man, man's lying? He'd go, oh, yeah, I've thought about that. And I'd go, well, do you see a purpose in it? He would come up with one. If nothing else, he would say, well, perhaps I couldn't tell you immediately off the cuff, so to speak, what the purpose is in any example you'd make up. But for instance, a man lying about that he is a homosexual and has always been attracted to people of the same sex instead of women. Now, 
I can't give you a blanket. I'm speaking for a psychiatrist, let's say, right now, that heard me say this. He could say, well, I can't give you a blanket diagnosis, but it's you know, based upon everything we know, based upon my training and my lifetime of experience, I would say, without a doubt, it has to do with some unresolved problems between him and his father, or whatever father figure he had or didn't have. And he'd be satisfied. If we were sitting in a crowd of people and I turned to the other people and I said, well, what do you think? I would have submit to you that all sophisticated, civilized people would probably go, yeah, that sounds good to me. The psychiatrist, his mind, all the people who agree with it, their minds know that they're lying. You understand? They don't know whether it gets 22 miles a gallon. The professional, that's one of the things, with no sarcasm intended, as you should know by now, but that is one of the purposes out in the civilized world, out in the city, as I used to call it, for, quote, professional standing, for us to have experts. Because if I was, again, speaking to an audience of ordinary people, and they were following this and interested, and I said, for what reason do men lie to themselves? For what reason? Would a man, for instance, that was, knew he was been attracted to other men since he was a child, lie to himself for 40 years? Why would he do that? And then a man raised a hand. He says, I say, well, do you know? And he says, I'm a psychiatrist. And he goes through what I said. And he said, well, there's no such thing as an all-purpose, fit-all diagnosis. But I would say without a doubt that it's most likely he has an unresolved conflict with his father or whatever father figure he had or didn't have. And if I looked at everyone else and I go, well, anybody else? And they all go, no, that sounds right to me. When I say that they're lying and that their minds know it, the psychiatrist did not hear my question when I said, does anybody know why a man would do that? For what purpose? The psychiatrist didn't know the answer. Let's say that the answer is that everyone who is a, uh, everyone who is a homosexual uh, has feet problems. That he knows that. And he decides, I'm not going to tell them. That they have some skeletal problem. And he thinks, nah, I'm going to lie to him. He raises the hand. He said, by the way, I'm a psychiatrist. If you really want a response. And I said, well, certainly I'd like to hear it. And he says, I think it's because of unresolved psychological conflicts between a homosexual and his father. Now, that's what ordinary people call lying. But you understand what I'm pointing out? The psychiatrist is not lying in that sense, but he is in the sense I'm trying to get you to see that I'm going to try to either tonight or maybe next time. I don't know if I can ever. I'm going to try. If you get a glimpse of this, it'll blow your head apart. Because you're lying every time, everything you think about being more awake or being more asleep. It's a lie. But in the sense I'm trying to instill in you or to get you to in the sense I'm trying to get you to consider the psychiatrist did not tell a lie in the sense that he deliberately for some reason lie and the other people in the audience might say well does anybody else have a response and everyone else by their body language or by their grunting 
they indicated to me that they agreed with the psychiatrist's diagnoses of why someone who was obviously a homosexual, as far back as they can remember, would lie to themselves most of their life. The psychiatrist gave his diagnoses, and everyone in the room, I said, anybody else? And everybody goes, no, huh? That's, that's about it. Now, they weren't lying in the sense that they decided that all them knew, well, that psychiatrist is full of shit. We know that's not true. We know that a man is a homosexual because he has inverted hair follicles. But we're not going to say anything. We're not going to correct the psychiatrist. Plus, we're not going to let the guy on stage know that we know better. We will, on some kind of secret signal, all of us strangers, will all lie and go, oh, yeah, we agree with that. That's not what's going on. You know that. The lie is that they don't know. The lie that the priests, when you say, can you promise me that as faithful as I've been to the church, and as much money that I have faithfully contributed, and all the good work, can you faithfully promise me when I die that I will go to heaven, that I will go to paradise, that I will live again and live a better life? And the priest says, I know it as well as I know my own name. I'm as sure of that as I am sure that I'm standing here. And you look at the priest or the rabbi, or if we we're in secular conditions, or the psychiatrist, and you go, is that really the problem? Do you know that? And they go, yes. What I was starting to say was that is one of the purposes out in the collective world of having experts. That everyone knows that their mind does not know what's going on. And it's as though everyone gets together in some way. Of course, this just happens. They don't willfully and actively do it. But it's as though all of us, in some magical way, get together, and every you know, 30 or 100 people, it's like we support them, and we contribute and send them to college, send them to theological school, send them to med school, let them major in psychiatry. And they just don't realize it, but we encourage it, we pay for it in some way or the other, so if they graduate, put on a collar, put on a yarmulke, put on a three-piece suit and a power tie, and you get a pad and pencil if they're a psychiatrist, and then they show back up amongst us, and you go, can you tell us what's wrong? Can you tell us, can you solve our problem? Can you answer our questions, I should say? And the questions being, why am I like this, the psychiatrist tells you. Then the other questions to the other to the non-secular, you ask the priest or rabbi, am I actually going to live after I die if I faithfully discharge my duties as a Christian, Jew, Muslim, etc.? They don't know. Their minds doesn't know. Your mind doesn't know. But now they have a position of authority, of expertise. And you go, will I actually live after I die? Yes. Do you know that? How, how can someone know that there's actually a God and he's looking after me and he keeps track of whether I live a good Christian or Buddhist life? The priest says, I know. I've given my life to the Lord's work, to God's work. I know. Would I lie to you? I know it. I know it. I'm as sure of it as I am sure that I am standing here talking to you. And when it all works, at the moment, you feel better for it. You feel better for it 
Now that psychiatrists have started, I understand, being a bit more active and actually talking to patients, well, other than saying you're behind in your bill, do you know for a fact that this, my problem, can be treated? Can you see clearly that I am not actually a homosexual? That what it is is I still have some unconscious complaints, some unresolved problems with my father. Oh, yes, that's what it is. Are you sure? And he points, he looks kind of at the wall over his shoulder like, there it is, degrees from Harvard, much postgraduate work at the Menninger Clinic. And he kind of looks around, he's you know, downtown Manhattan in an office. He's looking like, you know, how do you think I got here, selling bologna sandwiches? Are you sure of your, what you're saying? That is the lie. That is the lying that I've been trying to build up to. And the mind will hardly, as far as I can tell, can hardly grasp that. Well, the same old problem. Surely everyone's mind can grasp it when I say it, if I keep saying it in enough different ways. But the mind can scarcely stick to it, hold to it, because of what I've already pointed out over the last two nights. I challenge you to look yourself. It should just strike you as obvious as hell. That the mind is not simply lying for some reason. I say, because you can't necessarily, by any means, remember the first time you ever thought about any subject, like the first time you ever thought about a car, the first time you ever thought about sex, the first time you ever thought about baseball, the first time you ever thought about sadness. But surely, this has got to hit you as correct. It has to be this way, even if it doesn't hit you. At any rate, I say that the way the mind is structured and organized and based on its purpose, that the first time your mind, everyone's mind, thinks about a certain subject, that the subject is brought up. Now, let's start with the physical world, because that's where the mind starts. Well, it starts with the babies or the child's relationship to the physical world. Once it becomes capable of thinking and it's picked up language, and it will use symbols, it will use words, even if it, the child is not speaking overtly to itself, it begins to, quote, think. That it has words that represent reality. That the first time the mind thinks about a thing, it sees it exactly for what it is. If it did not have that ability, the mind would serve no purpose. And I again say the mind does not lose the ability. All you have to do is look at technology. Anyone who's decided, anyone who's having a problem with uh, some sort of uh, software, anything from that or as I was using last time, a water wheel, according to how crude or how technically advanced, if we're dealing with the external world, the world of physical objects, the mind still has. That's all science is, in a way. A true scientist or a man with a scientific mind, a man with an inventive, technologically inclined mind, his mind continually, relatively speaking, is seeing things as they are. Let's say a man's a troubleshooter in the R&D department at some uh, computer company, and they're having trouble with a some hardware or software, whatever they're making, and they call him in, 
and maybe he's unfamiliar with this new thing they're working on, and so they have to describe what it is, and they thought everything was going all right, but they've hit a serious glitch, and nobody, they just know that it should progress along these lines and come to the result that the, the R&D department had in mind, but now they can't get out of this quandary. They can't solve this problem. So, this ordinary man, man with an ordinary mind, can sit down if he is so, let's say, inclined, wired up, his mind can sit down and see things as they are. He may take a few questions. He may take a few minutes. And he, he has to ask them, now, what do you say happens? What do you say the problem? What is it you're trying to, that you expected would work and is now not working? What part of it? Can you point it out here or there? Have you told me everything? Then maybe he repeats to them. He says, all right. So the problem is you have gone from X to Y, but now it won't go to Z. They go, yeah. He says, okay. Maybe he dismisses them. Then he looks at it, and he can see it as it is, if that were not possible for just routine people throughout the day. To do that, we would have no change. We would have no so-called progress. Nothing would ever change. The mind has the ability, still has the ability, to see things as they are. But notice this. I challenge you to look. It is limited to things physical. When it comes to the cultural world, when it comes to the secondary reality, as I call it, the world of the mind, but the cultural world, the world that is non-physical, it does not see things as they are. And I challenge you to look. It seems that that's its natural state. But one more time, I'll say, I'll give it this much credit. This had to be true, that even in things non-physical, even in cultural matters, the mind, when it first saw something, for the first time it thought about it, it saw the truth. For instance, I'm having to jump in the middle of a man's life, etc. Let's say that a man had never seen abstract painting. Everyone knows what I mean. Non-representational. Splashes. Just, it doesn't represent anything in life. He had never seen one in his life. And so someone says... Uh, they mention abstract painting. He says, what's that? And they go, well, wait, I got one in the other room. You've never seen an abstract painting? He says, no, I've never even heard the term. So they walk in the other room. And maybe on the way, the people are saying, oh, this is the hottest thing. Or you, I always thought you enjoyed art. Maybe the guy says, well, I love Rembrandt. They go, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, well, Titian? No, 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 no. Michelangelo? No, 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 no. Abstract art. Oh, well, you see it. It is men finally, just here in the 20th century, Painters have been able to really delve down into their souls so that they don't just simply pick up paint and paint what they see, paint somebody's picture. No, it's the internal, it's their feelings, it's their own personality. It comes out, and we call it abstract painting. You go, well, I'd like to see it, the guy says. So you walk in the room, and right as soon as he turns the corner, he sees. And the guy's immediate point says, that's an abstract painting. The man's mind, upon initially seeing an abstract painting, based upon what that man said about, you know, this great, this one expresses, in fact, he says beforehand, he maybe tells the guy, this painter, as it turns out, because I read an interview before I bought this painting, he says that this represented the years of the internal turmoil of him trying to decide whether he wanted to be a hairdresser or a painter once he began to realize that he might be homosexual. And that this is what this painting represents. All right. So the guy had never seen one. He walks around. They walk right around the corner. And he points and says, there it is. The, mind, the man's mind, as soon as he sees it, 
Because that's bullshit. Now I'm just saying that because you people, you know, I'm not making a judgment because I love abstract art. I like it. But the point is, he, he sees it for what it is. He may not say it's bullshit, but he sees, well, somebody just took paint. You know? I don't even want to describe it, to tell you the truth, because most of you know how much I enjoy art. There's nothing to say about it. It's the old joke of somebody saying, what does it mean? What does being alive mean? But at any rate, I say that in the cultural world, my point was, in case I got you lost, I was saying even beyond the physical world, I say even in the made-up world, the first time the mind thinks about something, I assume you got the point, maybe the first time you ever heard a symphony, maybe you've never heard a symphony, all your life you've been listening to country music, and finally somebody says, well, you seem to like music so much, have you ever heard a symphony? And you go, I never even heard of one. And they build it up about, well, I'm going to take you tonight. They're playing Beethoven's Ninth. And it's based upon the heroic struggle of the human spirit attempting to overcome tyranny. And it goes on and on and on, whatever the latest interpretation of Beethoven's Ninth. And the guy walks in, and he sits down, and as soon as it starts playing, I'm not going to describe it, but he hears it, that is, he sees it for what it is. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, it is what it is. That's all an abstract painting is. That's why I hate to say anything, because I wasn't trying to degrade it by saying that the guy thought, well, it's just somebody threw paint on a canvas. Now, when you see it, the first time anything, that is, you think about it, you see it for what it is. But then immediately, the mind does begin to think about it, and the mind says, for instance, just instantly, within a second, after the guy saw an abstract painting for the first time, he saw it for what it is. And I'm telling you, when you see things for the first time, and you see them for what they are, you have no comment. The mind simply sees it. But you know this, within a split second, it's very likely the guy's mind said, oh boy, what a fraud. Somebody just threw paint, just smeared it around on a canvas, and sold this sucker, you know, charged him money for it. Again, I'm not trying to offer. That's not the point, any sort of judgment, because the man's not either right or wrong. But do you understand his mind no longer sees what it saw in that first instant when it turned the corner and saw an abstract painting for the first time? Within a second, it now has misrepresented what it sees to itself. Now again, don't... I can just see, I know how the mind works, that you get suddenly tripped up. I don't mean that the man's mind is wrong and it's lying when it says, well, that's a bunch of shit, that's a fraud. I'm not saying that that's a lie, that all abstract art is great, and now the man's mind is lying. It doesn't matter what he thinks about it. He is now rep misrepresenting it. His mind misrepresents what it is, whether, whether his mind is now thinking pro or con about it. That is the lying that the mind cannot grasp directly. Because the mind, if a man is told this, that the mind misrepresents after it, after it initially sees things for the first time, when it's presented with something for the first time, it sees it for what it is. But then, so let's say that I'm presenting this as my view, my theory. And I say, but then instantly, within a split second, it begins to see it, not as it is, which it did initially. 
it now begins to see it other than it is. And it doesn't matter pro or con this way or that. It now is misrepresents what it sees. It is now lying to itself. If I stated that to a man's ordinary mind, or notice in your own mind, but if I let's throw it on somebody else instead of you, to an ordinary man, and he was listening and interested, and I said, that's a fact. That's my view. And the man thinks about it. Do I have to add anything else? It doesn't matter how you think about it. It doesn't matter whether you agree, disagree. But the first time you ever heard that, the first time a man's mind ever hears that, if he was interested enough that he was actually paying attention, that he was simply interested, and I said that the mind, after its initial confrontation with anything, at which time it sees it for what it is, initially, at the moment of introduction, but it was physically seeing something or hearing something. You hear an idea, like you hear a symphony. But the first time the mind's attention is drawn to this subject and it confronts it, initially, at that moment, it sees it for what it is, whatever the hell it is, but it sees it for what it is. But then instantly, it begins to think about it and it begins to misrepresent what it saw just a split second ago, at least partially. It will never again, under any normal circumstances, be able to see the thing as it saw it initially. So if I sold that to a man, and I said, what do you think? Or if I just said, that's, that's a fact. That's not a theory. That's a fact. And people don't realize it. And the guy decided to think that it caught his attention. And he would think about it and then perhaps want to debate it with me to discuss it. Maybe agree or disagree, or maybe we want to discuss it. Would he not be offended if I said, well, we're not going to discuss it. You've already lost sight of it. That is, the mind, even... Let's say that I said it, and the man immediately, this happens to people. This happens to... Probably happened to many of you the first time you ever read some magical phrase like man's asleep through certain efforts can awaken. But let's say that I said that to an ordinary man, that the mind, after initially seeing everything, anything new that it meets for the first time that's presented to it, enough that it holds its attention, the mind's attention goes on the thing, it sees it for what it is, and then instantly it begins to see it, at least partially, as otherwise, and it will do so from then on, thereafter. It will lie about it. It misrepresents what it's seen. And I tell the man, that's a fact and nobody understands it. Nobody notices that. And that intrigues the man. And when I first say it, he goes, that's true to himself. It's true. He sees what I said. And then instantly, he begins to think about it. And they say, well, let me ask you this. And I go, well, it's too late. You know, you've already lost it. You're already lying. You know, not to me, because I know what's going on. You're already lying to you. Well, at least I lie more to you. I'm going to stop. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.